in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, you will find it on page 1,863 in your pew Bibles. Page 1,863 in your Bibles. Just as a little aside, remember what I said last night about the Song of Songs introduction? Look at this one in Hebrews. We don't even know who wrote it. We're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let us now hear the word of the Lord that we are going to contemplate this morning. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed accordingly. To his will. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and minds this morning. Let us pray that the Lord would illumine us as we contemplate this passage this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have heard your word this morning, we ask that you would illumine our minds, mold and shape our hearts, enliven us by the words that we have heard this morning. May you be with your servant as he speaks. May you be with your people as they listen. May your grace be fulled all to the full measure amongst us this morning. And above all else, may you be glorified. This in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, I don't know if you had the same reaction I did when I first read this passage. But in verse 1, when it says, Do not drift away, the first thing that popped into my mind was a song from before I was even born. In 1973, Dobby Gray made himself a household name with his hit, Drift Away. If you've never heard of it before, or maybe you need a little bit of a reminder, it's the song where he says, Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. And in that song, he talks about how in this impression of music that his existence is this multifaceted, uh, this multifaceted and deep existence where all of life is impressed upon by this music. In fact, in one verse, he even talks about how he just waits for the guitar to uplift him or he, in his blues, he waits for the song to just carry him away. And he becomes this passive being that is impressed upon by the music. How often in life do we just kind of drift away? It's so easy for us, isn't it? Especially those of us who may be on the retired side of things now, going from day to day and finding out what our hobbies want to be and just kind of moving things along bit by bit. And we just kind of drift one way and another. However, the writer of Hebrews here warns us 
about that kind of behavior, warns us about that kind of complacency, and issues five such warnings in his two of the covenant audience here. And we're going to take a look at the first one. That first one is pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I really like how the ESV puts it here because it's not just pay more careful attention, but it's pay the most careful attention. This is the primary thing that you have to look at. Not drifting away. Don't become so complacent in life that you just kind of drift. And so, in fact, this morning we're going to take a look at the theme that, although tempted to fall away from the gospel by complacent behavior and mundaneness of of unintentional life, we are called back to the intentional new life of the gospel that was confirmed and testified by God through His Holy Spirit and His workings. We're going to look at this in three primary points. One is drifting away. Second is ignorance is not an excuse the third is a confirmed gospel of truth. Again, we're going to take a look at drifting away, that ignorance is not an excuse, and that we have a confirmed gospel of truth. So the first thing it says in verse 1 is that we are to pay careful attention. Not just careful attention, but more careful attention. If you were paying attention to it before, I want you to pay more attention to it. Paul ups the ante even further. You are to examine yourselves. Pay close and careful attention to see whether or not you have confirmed that you're in the faith. In fact, he would kind of reword this, or Paul would reword this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. To put it another way, do you really look at who you truly are? We must test ourselves. And this comes down to identity, which is one of the great arguments, one of the great things that we hear in this culture right now. Who are you? And no, I'm not talking about the older song that says, who are you, who, 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 who. But I'm talking about, who are you? Who are you truly? We used to have a culture that didn't have a problem with slapping labels on things. Now we tend to just slap labels on anything because, well... I can be Republican or Democrat, and boom, instantly we have prejudice about that. Or I'm white, or I'm black, or I'm LGBT, or I'm heterosexual, or I'm cisgendered, or I have these pronouns or that pronouns. My generation in particular has made this an entire alphabet soup of any kind of anagram or uh, alphabetized whatever, so that I can truly define who I am, so that when I give you my pronouns or give you this or give you that, you know exactly who I am and you can put me inside a little box. And yet,
when we are called to test who we really are, the question we have to ask is, do you call yourself a Christian? And do you live like it? Are you intentional about it? Do you pay close attention to it? Putting it a different way, he calls us to be vigilant. It's a word that we don't really use all that often today. But when we talk about vigilance, not vigilantes like Batman, but vigilance, it's a call to look at things in a particular scope. To be vigilant means to put things under the magnifying glass, to take a look at it piece by piece, bit by bit, little by little, so that all of it in its encompassing you can look at and identify. You can see whether or not it fits the test that you've given to it. Pay close attention. Be vigilant. In Zephaniah chapter 1, the Lord through his prophet puts it this way. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill. In Zephaniah's time, the issue was complacency. Well, you know, God is there. He's God. This deistic understanding of who God is. And so we eat, we drink, and be merry because hey, the rain comes and the sun comes and it is what it is. Instead of paying close attention, we just kind of get along. This stems from one primary thing. Stands from a biblical understanding of pride or arrogance. When we begin to define ourselves not by what Scripture calls us, but rather by what we would call ourselves, we now have taken God off of the throne. The King of the universe who created us, who knows us better than we ourselves know us. And instead of putting him upon the throne of our hearts and defining our lives according to how he defines us, we would rather define us by how I want to define myself. I know God gave me male genitalia, but I just feel like a woman. I know that there's a a general heteronorm, and you know it just, I can't be part of that crowd.
but I'm still going to call myself Christian. I know Romans 1 doesn't like it, and I know Paul talks about it in Corinthians, and I, I know there's this whole thing in the Old Testament about it, but you know, I serve a New Testament God, not an Old Testament God. And you know, Paul was just a chauvinist, so I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. We start justifying things over and over and over again so that my identity becomes the identity I want to have rather than the identity that was given to me by the God who created me. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5 where he says to the church at Corinth, it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Your identity is that we have this Oedipus complex of a son trying to take his mother as his wife in immoral relations. And yet he's still accepted as part of the church with no problem. Even though that's specifically, both in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and in what our Lord says in Matthew, specifically goes against what the Lord teaches. But I'm still going to call him a Christian. Our Lord was also asked a question about an inheritance between two brothers. And he puts it this way in Luke 12. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Between identifying yourselves as what you want. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool this night. Your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When we become prideful and arrogant, when we define ourselves according to the way we want to be, we lose our sense of true identity in Christ. We don't pay careful attention, but rather we would drift away from what it means to be a Christian. We define ourselves now by the world, by possessions, by a cultural identity. To a certain extent, and I have heard this many times before, that phrase, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. If you're not Christ, you're not much, is how it should be. But too often we would rather say, well, I'm an African Christian, or I'm a Dutch Christian, or I am a white Christian. And we have to put modifiers onto this idea of being Christian. 
Yet what does the writer of Hebrews tell us? The salvation was first announced by the Lord. Should we not define it by how he defines it? We also understand that ignorance is not an excuse here. Now, Hebrews was written to the covenant people of the Hebrews. They had the background of being Jewish, of having the tradition of the church or the tradition of Israel. So they had access, if nothing else, in their early lives in Hebrew school and synagogue school to the prophets, to the Torah, to hearing the covenant works of God throughout the lives of Israel through the Exodus, through the times of the kings, and even all the way up through the diaspora. The prophecies of God that go out to his people saying, I will renew you. I will keep a remnant. Our writer puts it this way from chapter 1 in Hebrews. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. I can tell you right now that with the advent of social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever other thing you can possibly think of, Instagram, information is so easy to spread into the world. Misinformation like it. But let me ask you, you who call yourself Christian, what does your Facebook page look like? What does your Twitter page look like? What pictures are you posting to Instagram? How do you interact with people online? Are you letting the gospel become the stumbling block or are you becoming the stumbling block? You see, ignorance cannot be an excuse when we are so connected in this world that even people who merely have just seen a computer screen know what the name of Christ is, even if they reject it. And not only that, but from the foundations of the world, none have excuse. Many times I heard the argument, well, what about the innocent child in Africa who's never heard the name? My first response to that question was always, was there an innocent child in Africa? Because if he's innocent, then no, he's not guilty. He doesn't have anything to worry about, but all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the second thing that I would always say is, so you're telling me that if he was one of the elect, God is so powerless that he cannot send a missionary. Or have anything that that person would hear the word in the name of Jesus and come to saving faith, even if he was one of the elect? How powerless do you think God is?
God does not merely send his word and say, eh, they'll eventually get it. But God sends his word in power. In Hebrews 12, our writer specifically states, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And he warns them. This is another one of those warnings. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns them from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, yet once more again I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That is the warning that is issued to us in verse 2. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? If the gift of the gospel is truly offered free and clear to you and you have a grasp of what it means to know what your sin and misery is, how great is our sorrow that one can know how great their sin and misery is and yet still have no understanding of their need for Christ, their need for a Savior. For this word comes in power. And it's not merely word. But as verse 4 tells us, God also testified to it and confirms this gospel of truth. In verse 4, it says, God testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Right here, the writer of Hebrews zooms in on the church age. And says, look at the life of Christ. Christ himself even brings this to the forefront in Matthew 11 when he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And what do we see? blind man with mud rubbed on his eyes can see. A man born blind now has sight. The leper who says just merely speak to us and we will be clean. Christ goes so far as touching him. And they run back in joy because they are now part of their family once again, and they are restored. The lame man is told, pick up your mat and walk. Lazarus, dead in the tomb, who should have been a moldy, rotten corpse at the time, was preserved. Christ says, Lazarus, come out of there. The physical evidence is overwhelming. 
And not only that, but the poor. Not just the poor in monetary value, but the poor in spirit. Those of us, Gentiles according to birth. Not those with the Hebrew lineage by which we could hear all of the good things that God had done to our forefathers and their forefathers to the ages past, but rather Gentiles. Many who could be considered under the line of Cain. And yet they still are offered the gospel. New life. And it's not just physical evidence, but it's the spiritual evidence. Mark 16 puts it this way. The disciples go out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Acts 2, after the... Uh, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and after Peter delivers this magnificent sermon, so those who received his word and baptized and were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Not only that, but we also have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Things that don't generate from a heart that is corrupted, but rather from the love of God alone. But again, brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful. Because unless we intentionally look at these things, see the evidence before us, both physical and spiritual, we just kind of say, well, this is the normal. And we get complacent. And we drift away. But so that we do not lose hope, Let us be reminded by the forefathers from our past, the fifth head of doctrine from the canons of Dort puts it this way. From article four, five, and six. Although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, Yet converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as not in some particular instances sinfully to deviate from the guidance of divine grace so as to be seduced by and to comply with the lusts of the flesh. They must therefore be constant in watching and prayer that they may not be led into temptation. But when these are neglected, they are not only liable to be drawn into great and heinous sins by the flesh, the world, and Satan, but sometimes by the righteous permission of God actually are drawn into these, into these evils. This, the lamentable fall of David, Peter, and other saints described in the Holy Scripture demonstrates. By such enormous sins, however, they, are high, they very highly offend God, incur a deadly guilt, grieve the Holy Spirit, interrupt the exercise of faith, very grievously wound their consciences, and sometimes for a while lose the sense of God's favor. Until when they change their course by serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. But God, who is rich in mercy according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not wholly withdraw the Holy Spirit from his own people, 
even in their grievous falls, nor suffers them to proceed so far as to lose the grace of adoption and forfeit the state of justification, or to commit the sin unto death or against the Holy Spirit, nor does he permit them to be totally deserted and to plunge themselves into everlasting destruction. You see, even in drifting, or as many would call it, backsliding, it is not there, there is no hope. For the gospel is extended to us again freely. That Jesus Christ saves those who, gets, saves those who get complacent. Saves those who become unintentionally detethered in their own minds. But again, as our preparatory form put it, so that we do not lose hope. God does not abandon us. God, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not withdraw wholly the Holy Spirit from his own people. You see, people of God, if we are intentional in our living, if we are responsible in our action, if we understand our identity as Christians, we too can live and be part of that spiritual evidence that confirms the gospel of truth. That you and I are not merely drifting away in this world, influenced by the twos and fro's of the spirit of the wind, but rather our foundation is on Christ, the son of the living God, the fruit of the Spirit will reside in us and there is nothing. Not height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities. Nothing in heaven and on earth or anywhere in between that can separate us from the love of Christ. And so, brother and sister, let us intentionally live so that we may share to others an assurance that God loves them too. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace once again asking for your blessing. We ask that we may be engaged in our lives, that we may be intentional in how we live, so that the name of Christ is not profaned, that our identity of Christian is not muddled by this world, that you above all else are glorified and that the name of Christ may be displayed to all of those around us, that the assurance of the gospel may go through us once again. Lord, bless us as we go upon our homeward way and be with us as we live your truth each day. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power, enlivening, and quickening of the Holy Spirit. Amen.